Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The We Can Work It Out, We Can Work It Out edition. As the Bengals address two key areas of need on day two of the draft by selecting Clemson offensive lineman Jackson Carmen in round two and Texas edge rusher Joseph Osai in round three. Coming up, I'll talk to former Bengals offensive line coach Paul Alexander, who helped Jackson Carmen prepare for the draft and told the Bengals that he was worthy of being a first round selection. Then I'll discuss Friday's picks with my broadcast partner Dave Lapham and look at some of the players still available, particularly in the fourth round, where the Bengals now have three picks. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since fan interest in the NFL Draft. TV coverage of round one was seen by an average audience of 12.6 million viewers. That matched the rating for the most watched game of last year's World Series. Let's face it, it's an NFL world and we are just living in it. The Bengals began Friday night with the sixth pick in round two, but traded it to New England, dropping back eight spots and picking up two additional fourth round draft picks. So instead of picking 38th overall, they chose 46th. And that meant some anxious moments for Bengals fans every time an offensive lineman was selected. Tevin Jenkins went 39th, Liam Eikenberg went 42nd, and Walker Little went 45th, one spot before Cincinnati picked. Still, there were some good options left, like Samuel Cosme, Dylan Radins, and the player that Cincinnati ultimately selected, Jackson Carmen, the starting left tackle at Clemson for the last two years, who happens to be from Fairfield High School, where he was one of the nation's top recruits. The 21-year-old is 6'4", 317 pounds, and is expected to compete for a starting guard spot as a rookie. Former Bengals O-line coach Paul Alexander helped prepare more than 20 offensive linemen for this year's draft, including Carmen. Paul, how many times did you work with Jackson Carmen? Oh, shoot. Uh, we've worked together 10 days, probably. Um, starting around mid-season this year, they had a bye week uh, at Clemson, and he came home. And uh, I know that, you know, Matt uh, Tyler and the coaches over there at Fairfield. And so I got together, and we worked on a few things. And then, uh, you know, and then this uh, whole offseason. So uh, I know him pretty well. I mean, he's terrific. What are his strengths? He's a powerful guy. He can knock guys off the ball better than any lineman in this draft, in my opinion. Um, he, he can stop the bull rush, uh, he, but he also has terrific balance and agility to pass block. Um, I, I, I saw him as a first-round pick. I know that uh, oh, Mel Kuyper and friends probably hit him lower, but I guess uh, too bad. <laughs> you know. I, I think it was legitimate. I think it's a steal. I don't think it's a reach. I, I put him in the steal category. Interesting. We're talking to former Bengals O-line coach Paul Alexander. You did a podcast recently with Dave Lapham and said that there's not a guy in the draft that knows the NFL better than Jackson Carmen. How did that come out in your conversations with him? 
Well, I've spent a lot of time and we watch film and we study rushers and we study, you know, blockers. And he knows them all. You know, it's unbelievable. He knows what you have to do to this guy and that guy and the other. And so he's, and that is very important because modeling uh, in anything that you're successful with, typically if you model well and that's your goal and you know about it a lot, then you aspire to be great. And uh, more than any guy in the draft, like you said, Dan, and I said it to Lamp and I'll confirm it again, more than any guy in the draft, he knows the league in terms of playing offensive line right now better than anybody. So Jonah Williams is the left tackle. They signed Riley Reef to play right tackle. It sounds like they're going to give Jackson the opportunity to compete for a starting spot at guard, even though he has not played guard in a game before. How challenging will that be? Oh, he'll pick up on it. He's a natural football player. Uh, he'll learn it. And uh, he has a chance to really be a dominant guard but uh, uh, he can certainly play tackle too it's a heck of a thing that when uh, when you got a guy sitting on your roster that if something happens to Jonah or, or Riley that the Bowman can go out there and play tackle and uh, and not skip a beat is tackle to guard a relatively easy thing to do uh, it depends on the guy. I think uh, uh, it depends on your physical structure. His structure is such that he's so powerful and has a good center of mass, and, uh, which is good at guard, uh, that I think the, the transition will be seamless. He's a smart guy, and, and uh, he has all the traits to be able to play both. So some guys can't do it. Well, it's because they're built like tackles. Well, this kid's built like a guard, built like a tackle. All right, he's kind of that guy that's not too high cut or not too short. He's kind of like right in the sweet spot of what you're looking for in an athlete. He does not have particularly long arms. I think I saw 32 and a half inches. Does that make guard his well, most likely that's, spot? That's, or? That's, that's a wrong measurement, Dan. Greg, you brought that up. When he was at uh, Clemson for the Clemson workout, they measured him at 32 and a half. And I, got, I, I almost freaked out because I measured him at 33 and a quarter. Right, mm. and uh, which is you need 33 for a tackle. Well, he had a pro day uh, on the 15th of April, and they measured him, and they measured him at 33 and a quarter. So that 32 and a half that's floating around was a wrong measurement. And uh, I've got uh, obviously my measurement, and then a second measurement to confirm. Same thing happened with Joe Thomas, if you remember. <laughs> Joe Thomas, everyone's like, "Oh my God, he can't play tackle. His arms are too short." You know, they measured him his junior year, and they mismeasured him. And then all of a sudden he went to the combine and they said, oh, his arms are long enough. He can play tackle. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That's really interesting. So in his uh, media conference with the Cincinnati reporters, he spoke reverently about Willie Anderson. Apparently uh, he and Willie have worked together. Willie's given him a lot of it, advice and guidance. And obviously you have a very close relationship with Willie Anderson. Do you see some connections there? Uh, I do. The the two of them have some similar physical traits. You know, they both have good, strong lower bodies. Um, you know, they, they are powerful people. Um, and then Willie, well, Willie does a lot of work with high school kids and college kids. And, and uh, you know, Jackson was coming out of high school. He was a 
top recruit in the country as an offensive lineman. He's five-star. And, uh, you know, Willie, from the different camps and so forth, the recruiting camps, I, uh, I don't know what they call them now. They used to be Under Armour camps, right? But or Nike, they have those two. But Willie worked those, and that's where he got to meet Jackson. And over time, they've kept that relationship. And uh, uh, it's really good because uh, Willie's able to – Willie has great wisdom. You know, not only was Willie a great player, but Willie gets it. And uh, and he's a special, special man. And uh, that's uh, uh, he was able to impart some of that with Jackson. And I know Willie recommended him to the Bengals highly. You know, and uh, I know he talked to Duke Tobin and gave him his recommendation. And uh, so that kind of that kind of speaks for it, I think. I talked to Mike Brown and I recommended him. It was like... When I talked to Mike, it was that's the guy he wanted to know about practically more than anybody. So the Bengals had their eye on him for quite a while, and uh, uh, so I, I was not surprised. I, I, I kind of figured they were going to pick him. Interesting. So when they traded back from thirty-eight to forty-six, did you have it in the back of your head that maybe the NFL wasn't as high on him as as the Bengals were, and that that was really the guy they were targeting? Uh, I, I called Jackson and I told him exactly that. Last thing for Paul Alexander. In addition to your expertise when it comes to offensive line play, you study performers in all walks of life and what it takes to excel. Does he have any traits or characteristics that you think will allow him to, you know, exceed under the white hot spotlight of competing in the National Football League? He does. You know, the thing I mentioned that he knows the league, all right? So that's great. He's ultra competitive, all right? I was down, uh, I, I was down working with him and working with a guy who's a, plays an NFL uh, left tackle, a highly regarded NFL left tackle. We were doing some work about a month ago. And uh, Jackson, he gets me trying to make the guy look really bad, you know, go really, he's, he's ultra competitive. You know, he, he's like, nah, nah, this guy's a big name guy, but yeah, I'm better than him. So uh, he has a very high opinion of himself and not in a naive way, uh, in a way that I think will help propel him uh, to be great. Paul, I always appreciate the opportunity to pick your brain. Thanks for the information about Jackson. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. After going O-line in round two, the Bengals went D-line in round three with the selection of edge rusher Joseph Osai from Texas. He had 16 tackles for loss, five sacks, and forced three fumbles in only nine games last season. Now, time to recap day two and look ahead to day three with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. They had the 38th pick. They elected to make a deal with the New England Patriots, dropping back to 46. They picked up two fourth-round picks uh, for trading down. They wind up uh, with the 17th pick in the fourth round. That originally belonged to Arizona. They also get the 34th pick in the fourth round. That's a compensatory pick. If you look at the old uh, trade value chart, the 38th pick in the draft is worth 520 points. If you add up the three picks that the Bengals got in exchange, it's 526.5. So it's basically an even swap in terms of points, but the Bengals wind up with a couple of extra fourth rounders. Yeah. And I think uh, when you look at it, Dan, that's kind of the, the, uh, 
the sweet spot of the draft, you know, where people are thinking particularly, you know, some offensive linemen, there's enough depth there in the offensive line where you can do some damage, you know, in the, in the fourth round, those middle rounds, and even into the fifth round, you know, people are, are still feeling pretty good about offensive linemen. And, uh, and, and I think the Bengals, it was, it was a good, uh, good decision. I think it was a smart move on their part. Uh, they felt good about who they picked. And they got an extra, you know, a couple of fourth round picks in so doing, you know, you get the 122nd pick and 139th pick of the draft. That's pretty strong. It's pretty strong. So let's go back to the third round or to the second round rather and pick number 38, because when we did our podcast after round one, we talked about some of the offensive linemen that were still available. And the number one guy on the list was Tevin Jenkins. As it turned out, he was still there. At number 38, the only offensive lineman that got picked before uh, that in the second round was Landon Dickerson, who went 37th to the Eagles. So had the Bengals stayed at 38, they could have had Tevin Jenkins. They could have had Liam Eichenberg. They could have had Walker Little. Uh, Those guys were taken between 38 and when they did eventually get to pick at number 46. Yeah, I, I think they had uh, had an idea that there was going to be a run there of those guys, and it and it panned out that way. But they had their guy identified, and of course, uh, the great Mel Kiper, who hasn't played a snap of football, said that, "Oh, that's ridiculous." Uh, Jackson Carmen, I had you know third, fourth round, uh, you know end of third round, fourth round. Um, so whatever. I mean, there's good, all I can say is that there were a lot of NFL teams that uh, when I was talking to him and I said, what do you guys think of Jackson Carmen? Do you think he'll be there at 38? I don't know. I don't know if he'll be there at 38. He might, you can cross your fingers and hope, hope and pray. So there's a big disparity of, you know, where you have guys slotted and evaluated as always, particularly between the draft gurus, you know, and the coaches and the, and the uh, scouts and the people that, uh, you know, are actually going to make the pick and then coach the players. So um, there's always, always some big differences in the way people look at players. And how about Jackson Carmen though, Dan, you talked about coming full circle, playing up at Fairfield, Ohio, five-star recruit finalist for the Anthony Munoz award as the best lineman uh, in the area, you know, highly acclaimed offensive lineman, basically one of the top two recruits in the state of Ohio, basically. Everybody thought he was going to go to Ohio state and he, he duped everybody and went to, uh, went to Clemson and, now he's going to come full circle after starting uh, such spectac- in a spectacular fashion at Fairfield and going down to Clemson and proving himself uh, worthy at the in the offensive line and getting drafted by the hometown team and coming back home to play his professional career. That's a that's a pretty good story. That's uh, that's something that that uh, <laughs> you have to see it to believe it, I guess. Two people that Mike Brown really respects when it comes to offensive line play sang Jackson Carmen's praises, Willie Anderson and Paul Alexander, who was a member of the coaching staff for a long time. When those two guys tell the Bengals that they think that Jackson Carmen is going to be an excellent NFL offensive lineman, the Bengals are listening. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, they both uh, they both understand uh, the athleticism that that the big guy has. I mean, he is light on his feet. He can get up on his toes when he needs to. He's got tremendous balance. Uh, he's extremely athletic, and uh, he's he's got he's got <laughs> a tremendous skill set. And and both obviously Willie and 
Paul Alexander teach the same sort of techniques and they had the same evaluation of them and they were very, very high on him and, uh, and feel like he's going to be able to play well for a very long time in the National Football League. Initially, sounds like he's going to be inside at the guard position, but doesn't mean that he wouldn't necessarily slide out and see how he could play at the tackle spot. He played left tackle down there at Clemson and, and played it well. I think that um, it, watching a little bit of their, of their tape, it was interesting, though, they had their offensive line pick up stunts and tried to man block everything and kind of uh, put him behind the eight ball in a few type in, in a few instances that it wasn't due to his uh, lack of proficiency uh, physically and athletically. It was just a, I think a, a, a tough thing to try to execute, but I, I think he's a, uh, he's a really, really good football player. And two guys that I have a lot of uh, trust in their evaluation as well. And, uh, and, and people that they know around the league and people they talk to the Sims boys, Phil and Chris Sims, both had very uh, strong opinions that that he was going to be a high pick, and everybody's right. It turned out that uh, that he was a higher pick than people. Some people may have thought, like Mel Kiper. So he is expected to compete for a starting spot at guard. You ask him the question: Have you ever played guard before? He said, "No, I've practiced at guard. I've never played it in a game." You can speak to this because you played all five positions in a game at the NFL level. How difficult is that transition going to be at the highest level of football? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, the biggest, the biggest difference is when you go from the, from the outside inside, um, things are faster. Things happen in a much faster, faster pace. Uh, there's, there's, you have to make quicker decisions. Your, your brain has to process things a little bit quicker. Uh, you'll have twists inside with linebackers and down linemen that you don't necessarily experience on the outside when you're pass protecting against the defensive end. Usually it's you got the defensive end, you have the defensive end almost every single repetition. So it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, a little bit like being on the Autobahn in terms of uh, speed on that interior. Uh, so it's more of a mental adjustment, I think, than a physical adjustment. I don't think he'll have any any real big physical adjustment at all. I mean, he's a He's a, a specimen, and, and he does have great athletic ability, uh, but I, it's just the mental part of it. And I, and, and I think that's what they like, too. They like his football acumen. Uh, they think he's got, you know, intelligence, overall raw intelligence and football intelligence as well. They're, they're pretty high on him, and um, I, think he, I think he got some pretty good grades when the, when the Bengals, uh, you know, evaluated that tape that, uh, that he put, put on uh, – put on uh, celluloid there for everybody to take a look at when he was down there at Clemson. Jackson Carmen played well. Surgery for a herniated disc in January. How big of a red flag is that? Yeah, I guess, I guess he re recovered pretty darn well, pretty quickly. Um, there doesn't seem to be any issue with it, but, you know, obviously it's something that, uh, that you, you know, you're going to have to monitor and it might've scared some people away. It's possible. But it doesn't sound like it was a major procedure. So I, I think that he passed the, passed the physical that the league provided. And also, uh, my understanding is he passed the physical that the Bengals doctors uh, took a look at him. All right. When we looked ahead prior to day two of the draft, we said ideally the Bengals would take an offensive lineman in round two and a pass rusher, an edge rusher in round three. That's exactly the way it played out. Uh, with the fifth pick in the third round, number 69 overall, they selected Joseph Osai, 
of uh, Nigerian descent, an edge rusher from Texas, an athletic freak. He is 6'3", 256 pounds, ran a 4'6", 240, broad jumped nearly 11 feet at 256 pounds, known for having a maniacal motor. And uh, this is a good value pick. He was number 42 on the athletics consensus board. Dane Brugler had him at number 47. The Bengals get him at number 69. Yeah, I think they got excellent value there. He's explosive. He's got length. He's got position versatility. You know, with that athleticism, he can drop into space. He can do things at the linebacker position. Uh, but I think what the Bengals want to do is, is bring pressure off that edge. To me, um, what they lost in Carl Lawson with that first step quickness and that explosion, they got with this guy. I think this is a tremendous replacement for Carl Lawson. What I can gather from looking at the numbers, I think he might have had the, the fastest 10-yard split of any edge rusher. So this guy now has an unbelievable first step. He has that short space quickness. The one thing about him though is, is you know, it, when, when, you, when I watch him, it's like I think that he needs to be coached a little bit on his overall pass rush game plan. You know, I, I, don't, think, I don't think he's got multiple moves. I think uh, he just tries to beat people with, the, with that sheer physical, you know, ability and talent. And I think he's got an upside that once he starts to learn some counter moves and, you know, as, as explosive and, and uh, twitchy as he is, he, his hips look a little stiff, you know, and, and his ability to redirect is, is, uh, is, is not, you know, like crazy, crazy, but he's, he's, a, he's a heck of a player. And the thing about him is, like you talked about, he finishes. He finishes plays because he's, you know, a high character guy with a high motor and you put those two things together, he refuses to lose, you know, and, and he's going to, he jumps off the tape when you watch him. Um, and he's, he's an effort guy in every sense of the word. You know, we, we, uh, we marvel at uh, Sam Hubbard, you know, he empties that effort bucket every single snap. I think when you have these two guys on the edge, uh, Osai and Hubbard, I mean, you're going to have guys that are just getting after it, coming up the football field and, and getting after people and, and, and relentless in their effort, doggedly determined to, to finish plays. There's no doubt about it. Ray Hendrickson known for the same thing. So that gives yep. you three defensive ends who right. are known for that type of effort. No question about it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good little trio. And yet you have to figure that the three of them, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be spinning, splitting um, snaps, you know, it's like you have to look at uh, look at it. You have to have at least three edge guys in the National Football League. There's no question about it. So this is a welcome addition. So Jamar Chase brings a lot of swagger, a lot of pizzazz, almost Chad Johnson with uh, with a little less look at me, uh, but the same confidence level. And now these two guys, based on our conversations with them after they were selected, are ear-to-ear -ear grin kind of guys, just, you know, thrilled to be selected by Cincinnati, can't wait to get to work, uh, just oozing with enthusiasm and charisma. Those are the kinds of guys you like to bring into the building. I, I agree with you, Dan. I think that, uh, that both of them have a, have a pleasing swagger. You know, it's like, I think they're, they're, they both know they're good <laughs> and, uh, and they're proud of it. Um, but it, I, I don't think it's like, to me, there's a, 
there's a difference between cockiness and confidence, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I think they, I think they realize that, um, that they're gifted and there's no doubt about it, but I think they keep it in enough perspective and, and there's nothing wrong with feeling like you can get a job done and you can get the job done better than almost anybody. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, my mother used to tell me, you know, you don't, don't think you can't do anything. You can do anything you want to do. You just don't have to tell everybody about it all the time. <laughs> all right. Let, let's look ahead to day three, the third and final day of the draft, and the Bengals are going to be busy. They have seven picks on day three, three in the fourth round, beginning with the sixth pick, just their own pick in the fifth round, number five in that round, two picks in the sixth round, their own, and then the 18th pick, and then finally the seventh pick in the seventh round. With about 20 picks to go in the third, I had a big list of guys that were still available. And I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. Yeah. There's so many great players still on the board. And then, right. then the run began. So guards started going rapidly. Wyatt Davis, Kendrick Green, Ben Cleveland, Robert Hainsey. Then there was a run on cornerbacks, Elijah Molden, uh, Ifiatu Melanfonwu, Ambry Thomas, Brandon Stevens. So... If you were looking for a guard or for a cornerback, sure, there's still plenty left. But some of the guys that I really was excited about uh, just got scratched off the list late in the third round. Yeah, and, and during the course of that third round, in late, uh, Quinn uh, Miners, uh, the kid from Wisconsin Whitewater, I was intrigued by that kid. He, he went very late to buff, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, no, Spencer Brown went to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I can't remember who Miners went to. but He went Spencer to the Broncos. Yeah, the Broncos. That's what it was. And Spencer Brown uh, went to went to Buffalo. Um, yeah, so it, it was uh, it was unfortunate that some of these guys started uh, started falling by the wayside. But I still think there's to me there's some intrigue with a couple of local guys. You're talking about you know uh, somebody that played at Fairfield High School that you uh, that you you draft uh, in in the second round, Jackson Carmen. What would be wrong with uh, just going? down the road to UC and taking a look at uh, James Hudson, you know, maybe, uh, maybe with one of those fourth round picks or, you know, go up the, go up the, uh, the, the road a little bit to Miami of Ohio and Oxford and Tommy Doyle, uh, and a tackle that, uh, that, that is still on the board. Dante Smith from East Carolina is, uh, is, uh, still out there. Brown from Alabama, depending on what he had in, uh, he's probably a little depressed if he if he what he ate tonight he might be 350 plus pounds tomorrow morning but that's his problem he's got to control that weight but i wonder you know he's 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 on the board but his his movement is leaves a lot to be desired there's no question about that dan but yeah there are some there's some interesting guys there's a road grader from grambling and this guy's like you know not fourth round but he might be later if that's, they want to take it take another yeah. flyer David Moore. From David Grambling. Moore. Yep. 330 pounder from Grambling. Yeah. And he's less than six two, but man, he is a, he's a load, you know, and uh, you know, on the edge, there's a, still a couple of uh, options out there. Weaver from Pittsburgh, still out there. Cameron sample from Tulane's still out there. So I, I think that they can still go with the best available player on their board, but there's still pretty good players out there. Well, they could still address a position of need, you know, defensively, defensive tackle, defensive end, maybe cornerback, you know, offensively, if they could still address the offensive line, 
the interior of the offensive line or tackle if one of these guys, you know, makes it uh, makes it to where they are in the fourth round that we talked about. I think they still have some options. I mean, there's cornerbacks out there. Sean Wade's out there from Ohio State. Uh, Trey Smith is is out there, a guard from Tennessee. Um, it, Chris Rump, outside linebacker from Duke. Uh, he's got some value where we're talking about in the draft. There's there's still players out there, Dan. That's why I think it was such a good move. Um, uh, Davion Dixon, defensive tackle from Iowa, is a pretty solid player. I, I think picking up these extra picks that they got, uh, it, they're going to be able to, you know, just double down on some position groups and 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 make the football team better overall. I don't I don't see anything wrong with what they did. The Brown from Alabama that you mentioned is Deontay Brown. He was something like 360 pounds, I think, at the Senior Bowl, and then the, he got down to 344. According to Dane Brugler, he was like a second-round, third-round type grade, but again, uh, you, you wonder if he'll ever be able to control his weight at the NFL level. You mentioned Trey Smith, the guard from Tennessee. He's got a third-round grade on the Dane Brugler board, but he's got blood clots in his lungs. Uh, which uh, is probably a reason why he is still available. Stone Forsyth is still yes, out there, a tackle right. from Florida. He had a, a third-round grade. Uh, you mentioned James Hudson from UC, third-round grade, according to Dane Brugler, Tommy Doyle from Miami, fourth-round grade. So uh, that's appropriate for where the Bengals uh, will have their three picks in the fourth round. I'll throw a couple of other names out there. Tommy Togi, big defensive lineman from Ohio State. He had a third, fourth-round type grade. Uh, from Dane Brugler. He's still out there. And then a guy that I mentioned several podcasts ago, running back Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis, still on the board uh, in between a second and third round grade from Dane Brugler. I saw him a couple of years ago. UC couldn't stop him either in the passing game or the running game. He opted out last year when he was expected to be the uh, preseason offensive player of the year in the conference. So if they want to go running back with one of those fourth round picks, and Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Gainwell is still on the board. I think that'd be a great selection. I, yeah, I mean, I think he might be like a poor man's Travis Etienne, you know? I mean, it, it's it, the guy The guy is a guy who can uh, handle things in, in, in both phases, running the football as well as catching the football and helping the quarterback. Just a, a note uh, that, uh, that was interesting, Dan. Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne uh, played, you know, obviously, together at Clemson. And ETN is like, he's going to be not just a running back. I think they're going to, he's going to be a hybrid type guy. I think he's going to, they'll use him as a receiver as much as they do a, a running back, but help the quarterback with a guy that he did establish chemistry with in his college days. Uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, same thing. Tua with Waddle, same thing. Hertz, when he was at Alabama with Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, same thing. Four different instances of young quarterbacks uh, being basically handed weapons that they had success with, success with at the collegiate level to try to uh, help give a little jump start to their development in the National Football League. I thought that was kind of a little interesting trend that went on uh, during the course of yesterday's action. At the end of the draft, the Bengals are always looking for guys that could potentially contribute on special teams right away. There are two UC Bearcat safeties, James Wiggins and Derek Forrest, uh, that could be excellent special teams players. The Bengals are obviously set at safety, uh, but at the bottom of the roster, those guys could help in special teams. And then I will throw one more name out there as a late pick 
because the Bengals always take at least one Ohio State guy, right? And if they don't, right. if they don't take Tommy Togi, then how about Justin Hilliard, the former uh, St. Xavier High School player, captain for the Buckeyes, linebacker? I could see him as a uh, sixth or seventh round pick. Yeah, that's a, that's a good call right there. That's not, nothing wrong with uh, Darren Simmons. And I think with all the picks that they've got, uh, yes, coming up tomorrow, he'll, he'll, he'll have a definite say on uh, special teams will have an impact on, on where they're drafted and if they're drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, particularly down the stretch drive there. Seven, uh, seven picks left. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. It's going to be I, a very busy Saturday. It sure is. There's no doubt about that. I was just looking at um, how offensive line play, you know, people are like, oh, geez, you got to draft guys high. You know, you, you can't pass on a guy in the first round. You can't pass on this guy. You can't pass on that guy. You can't move back and take guys in later rounds. Let's let's just think about the, the 1988 Super Bowl offensive line. Anthony Munoz, of course, very high draft pick, warranted, Hall of Famer, 11 consecutive Pro Bowls. Um, but other than that, at the left guard, Bruce Reimers, eighth rounder, 204th pick of the draft, was developed by Jim McNally, the legendary offensive line coach, went on to have a 10-year career. Center was Bruce Kazerski, ninth round, 231st pick of his draft out of Holy Cross, went on to enjoy a 12-year career. Right guard, Max Montoya, seventh rounder out of UCLA, 168th pick of the draft, 16-year NFL career. Joe Walter, seventh round pick out of Texas Tech, 181st pick in the draft, 12-year NFL career. Come on, man. What's wrong with developing? You know, drafting a lot of these guys, Reimers, Kazerski would not have been drafted. Montoya and Joe Walter would have been drafted in the last round, in the seventh round. Jim McNally did a hell of a job of not only drafting and targeting, you know, some traits but then developing them. So you don't have to have first round draft picks across the board of your offensive line. Let's just take a look at 1988 and reflect back on, hmm, got some guys and, uh, and they filled some, uh, so, some positions in that offensive line very, very well, to say the least. That is some good stuff. And uh, I think we will end it on that note. I will have my celebratory beer as I put this together for the second night in a row and you can catch some sleep. I'm, I'm into that already, Dan. I think, <laughs> I, I think I was half asleep as we did that one. And if it sounded that way, I truly apologize. <laughs> sounded great as always. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. All right. Have a great one. We'll wrap up the draft with another edition of this podcast on Saturday. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.